Chapter Seventeen of On an Irish Jaunting Car Through Donegal and Connemara by Samuel Gamble Bain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Frank Lennon. Limerick. The important part of our trip being finished, Mr. Ross left for London to witness the second attempt at the coronation of King Edward, while I went down to see Limerick and visit its annual horse fair. Arrived at Limerick, I found the town full of the horsiest men I had ever seen anywhere. They had the knack of horsey dressing down to a fine point. Horseshoe pins were the thing, stuck in light-coloured scarves wound around their necks. Their shanks were tightly rolled in leather, and above the knee they wore Santos Dumont balloons in colours that would have made a rainbow look like a band of crepe. Most of them had the conventional blade of grass in their mouths, a fashion started by Lord Palmerston five years ago and immortalised by John Leach in a celebrated punch cartoon of that period. When looking at a horse, they tilted their hats far back into the nape of their necks, planted their feet wide apart, stuffed their hands into their pockets, and carried themselves with the general air of one who soliloquizes. Well, I'm just looking for a photograph of a man who can away with me on a horse trade. Several streets in the horsey quarter of the town were given up to showing horses, and there were examples of every breed, size, colour, and weight you could think of, including hunters, carriage horses, racers, saddle horses, utility nags, circus horses, and ponies. The rushing, rearing, plunging, galloping, trotting, and loping of the horses, and the shouting of the rough riders, made a kaleidoscopic scene of dust, noise, and confusion, which would have caused any suffering from nervous prostration to choose some other place for a quiet afternoon. But I was there to see it through, and I went into the spirit of the occasion, for all I was worth, trying my best to lend a helping hand in many of the trades. I was on the successful side twice, and had a glass of Limerick Ale at a neighbouring bar with the elated buyers. The dealing, swapping, and buying were carried on in true artistic style, while the rough riding, when showing the animals, can only be seen in Ireland. It takes a buyer, a seller, and about three cappers on each side to close a trade. They almost pull the clothes off the back of the owner and slap him violently on various parts of his body when splitting differences. A buyer always bids about five pounds more than he will really give, stipulating that he shall have the five pounds returned to him after the purchase. This swells the apparent value of the nag and pleases the owner. He tells his neighbours that he sold his horse for the larger amount, but they know that he didn't get it, so there's no harm done. A dealer suddenly slapped me on the back and said, Why don't you buy a fine pair for yourself and take him to the States with ye? Oh, the horse is not in it any longer in America. The automobile is king. Ah, the devil burn the automobiles anyhow. No decent man will ride in one of them if he can't get a state behind a horse, was his prompt reply. 
young well-matched carriage pairs brought one hundred and fifty guineas readily during the afternoon why don't you ship some of these teams to america you could get three thousand dollars for them in new york was a question i was put to another dealer i know it sir but the risk and expenses are too big twould break me up in the long run and i suppose he was right after saying so much about the horse fair perhaps it might be as well to say something about limerick itself limerick has had quite a past and there has been a hot time in the old town about as often as in any other city that can be pointed out it is situated in a broad plain watered by the shannon and backed up in the distance by the hills of clare and killaloo the river which soon becomes an estuary rolls in a magnificent and broad stream through the heart of the town and sends off a considerable branch called the abbey river this branch rejoining the shannon further north encloses what is known as the king's island on the southern portion of which is built the english tower united to the mainland by three bridges and containing the most ancient buildings in contradiction is the irish town which lies to the south of it and more in the direction of the railway station these two districts comprise the fortified old town up to edward the second's time only the english town had been defended by walls and towers but these were subsequently extended so as to include the irish town which was entered by st john's gate the eastern portion of the walls in parts forty-five feet is still fairly preserved newtown perry the district between this and the river was then bare but having come into the possession of the perry family earls of limerick it was specially built upon and is now equal to any city in ireland for the breadth and cleanliness of its streets of these the principal is george's street a handsome thoroughfare of nearly a mile in length giving off others on each side at right angles with a statue of o'connell by hogan erected in eighteen fifty seven at the south end of it in richmond place there is also to the north a monument to the memory of lord montagu the name limerick is derived from the irish limnock the name of a portion of the shannon by the corruption of the n to the r like most of the irish seaports it was founded in the ninth century by the danes who were subdued by brian Boru when he assumed the sovereignty over munster and limerick thus became the royal city of the munster kings after passing through the usual stages of intercene native war its next important epoch was marked by the erection of a strong fortress by king john who committed the care of it to the charge of william de burke bruce took it in thirteen sixteen and remained there for some months from that time with a few intervals of check it steadily gained in importance until the reign of elizabeth when it was made the centre of civil and military administration in sixteen forty one it held out for some time against the irish but was taken by them it was defended in sixteen fifty one by hugh o'neill against Irithan during a six months siege here next year Irithan died of the plague but the great episode in the history of Limerick took place during the wars of William and James, when the events occurred which fastened on it the name of the City of the Violated Treaty.
after the fall of Athlone and Galway, Tyrconnell, the Lord Lieutenant, still held Limerick as the last stronghold that King James possessed, the city having been previously unsuccessfully assaulted by the English under William at the head of about 26,000 men in 1690. Lazun, the French general, said it could be taken with roasted apples, and leaving it to its fate, went to Galway and embarked for France. William's army was wanting in artillery, and he awaited the arrival of a heavy siege train from Dublin. The convoy was arrested by Sarsfield, who started at night with 600 horsemen on the Clare side and crossed the Shannon at Killaloo. The next night he fell on them and took possession of the train. He filled the cannon with powder, buried their mouths in the earth, and, firing the hole, utterly destroyed them. More cannon arrived from Waterford, and William pressed forward the siege. On the 27th of August, a breach having been effected, a terrific assault was made, lasting four hours, in which the women of Limerick were conspicuous in the defence. The besiegers were repulsed, losing about 2,000 men. In consequence of the swampy nature of the ground and the advanced season, William raised the siege. A fit of apoplexy carried off Tyrconnell when the government, both civil and military, fell into the hands of Duzon and Sarsfield. Ginkel, commander of the English army, endeavoured to take the town by an attack on the fort which overlooked and protected the Thomond Bridge. This attack is described in graphic and spirited language by Lord Macaulay, and I cannot do better than give the account of it in his own words. In a short time the fort was stormed. The soldiers who had garrisoned it fled in confusion to the city. The town major, a French officer, who commanded at the Thomond Gate, afraid that the pursuers would enter with the fugitives, ordered that part of the bridge which was nearest to the city be drawn up. Many of the Irish went headlong into the stream and perished there. Others cried for quarter and held up their handkerchiefs in token of submission, but the conquerors were mad with rage. Their cruelty could not be immediately restrained, and no prisoners were made till the heads of corpses rose above the parapet. The garrison of the fort had consisted of about 800 men, of these only one hundred and twenty escaped into limerick the result of this capture was the fall of james's power in ireland and the signing of the famous treaty on the stone near the bridge on october third sixteen ninety one the ninth article of which provided that the roman catholics should enjoy the same privileges of their religion as they enjoyed in the reign of charles the second and that William and Mary would endeavour to ensure them immunity from disturbance on account of their religion. This article, however, was never carried into effect, although through no fault of the Williams. Large numbers of the Irish soldiers took service under France and formed the Irish Brigade, famous in after years in continental wars. Sarsfield was killed at the Battle of Landon in sixteen ninety three and it has been estimated that in the next half century four hundred and fifty thousand irishmen died in the french service for seventy years after the siege 
the city was maintained as a fortress and its ramparts and gates kept in repair and guarded in seventeen sixty it was abandoned as such its defences dismantled and the city thus freed rapidly extending its boundaries it has since however been a station for large detachments of troops and is at the present day one of the most bustling and pleasant garrison towns the shannon is crossed by three important bridges of which the thomond bridge built in eighteen thirty nine claims priority from its ancient associations it connects english town and the county of clare the entrance from which through thomond gate was protected by the fort mentioned above and king john's castle it is one of the finest norman fortresses in the kingdom and has a river front of about two hundred feet flanked by two massive drum towers fifty feet in diameter the walls are of great strength being ten feet thick the northern tower is the most ancient and from the bridge traces of the cannonading it received in its various sieges can be clearly seen it still remains its ancient gateway but the modern entrance is from nichols street its venerable appearance is marred by the addition of the modern roofs and buildings of the barracks into which the interior was converted in seventeen fifty one the constableship of the castle was only abolished in eighteen forty two the treaty stone on which the famous treaty was signed in sixteen ninety one is at the western end of the bridge it was set upon its present pedestal in eighteen sixty five limerick is famed for the fineness of its laces and at one time its gloves were the most costly in the market last but not least it is still famous for the beauty of its women a reputation not undeserved as may be seen even on a casual stroll through the streets end of limerick